Hi, and welcome to What's Next, the podcast where we explore the technology of tomorrow and what it means for us today. I'm Deb Conway, your host this week. I'm an investor with Samsung Next in New York, and I'm passionate about urban tech. My guest today is Will Haven. He's the head of corporate development and business processes at Blade, a company redefining travel, mobility, and experience. Blade has raised close to $50 million from some of the most prominent investors in the world. Welcome to What's Next, Will. Thanks for having me, Deb. My pleasure. One of the reasons why I'm so excited to interview you today, one, is to catch up, see what you've been up to over these past couple of years. Will has had a decorated professional history. And also because Blade uses mobility to redefine experience, and that's one of the areas of topic that I'd love to dive into today. But first, Will, what is Blade? So Blade is the largest urban air mobility company in the United States. We fly more people in and out of city centers than any other company. We're in New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and we'll be launching in Mumbai in October. And the goal of Blade is to create an urban air mobility platform that, though we're using helicopters today, will help facilitate that transition to electric flight in the very near future. And that's what I'm excited to talk to you about today. Can you tell me a little bit more about the Blade origin story and and current status of the company? How did this come to be? So Rob Wiesenthal, who's the CEO, used to be CFO of Sony Americas. As part of that, their corporate flight department reported up to him, which included some helicopters. And what he saw as he learned more about the operating costs of helicopters is that these things were flying from base. They were picking up one person. They were taking them to an airport. They were taking them to a destination. And they were flying back to base. Very inefficient, uh, very expensive. And he realized that if you made this system smarter, if you made it more efficient, if you increased the utilization, it would be possible to bring the price down to something that resembled what people were already paying for ground transportation. So that's just what Blade did. Uh, We found aircraft that are quieter than the machines that were predominantly being used for charter. So before Blade, you were essentially using aircraft that were designed to take people to offshore oil platforms. Big, use lots of gas, very loud, designed to carry 12 heavy people a long way away. That's not probably the best machine for a five-minute trip to the airport. So we worked with our partners, including Bell Helicopter, to find quieter aircraft that use, in some cases, a third of the fuel per hour. And then we made the system more efficient. So instead of flying from Poughkeepsie to pick someone up in Manhattan drop them off, and then fly back. So you got 40 minutes of flight time you don't need. We reposition from somewhere very close to Manhattan in the morning, wait until we have demand. We're flying on demand all day long, 12 hours a day. And then we fly people back and forth with full helicopters, six people on the aircraft. And that's what's allowed us to get the price down to $195. And if you check Uber during rush hour, a lot of times that is competitive with an UberX, and it's almost always less than an Uber SUV. So it's it's been a tremendous product for us, and it's all about using the system more efficiently. That's extraordinary. So I need to push on this $195 because it's just a, a staggering, exciting price to be able to travel to and from the airport. Can you tell me more about the different packages that you have for consumers, whether it's a one-off package or do you have subscriptions? What are the different experiences as a loyal customer of Blade look like? 
So one of the biggest points of feedback we got immediately from our customers is they wanted to be able to expense this when they're flying for business. Now, people have expense limits. Sometimes $195 is right above what they can spend. So we created the Blade Airport Pass. So for $795 a year, you can fly to and from any New York City commercial airport for a flat $95. Wonderful. Okay, so let's talk about customers here because one of the things that I think is so cool about what you, Blade, have done as a brand is you've basically encouraged people to think about helicopter travel and urban air mobility in a very different way because it used to be, to your point, it used to be a little bit more of a different cohort of folks flying in these devices, whether they were affiliated with the army or the military, or I actually spent a summer working for a mining company in Nunavut and I was, you know, prospecting out in Nunavut every day in a helicopter, not your average local citizen who's trying to get to JFK quicker. So can you talk a little bit about the evolution of who this asset kind of connects with now and the way that Blade accomplished that? So it all comes down to this new idea of of City 2.0. You know, I think the best example is a real life example here in New York. Take a look at at Hudson Yards right on the river on West 30th Street. It's it's the perfect microcosm for City 2.0 because it's multimodal. So You can take a ride-sharing service to Hudson Yards if you're traveling in from Manhattan. You can take a bike-sharing service. You have the 7 train. You have Penn Station nearby. And then at West 30th Street, you have Blade Lounge West. That's your best way to get to the airport. So it's it's not the only solution for mobility, but people are starting to think about air differently by being able to bring the price down It's a part of the City 2.0 mobility solution. And if you think about one Blade aircraft going to the airport with six people on it, each one of those is six people that isn't taking their own SUV. That tends to be the kind of customer that we're seeing as an early adopter. And now that we've gotten the price point down to $95, you have people that would have been taking an UberX. It's a normal thing to do now. You see people walk across the street from Hudson Yards And from leaving their desk to getting to the terminal at JFK, you might be talking about 25 minutes. It's unbelievable. One of the things that you guys have done is you've really taken this form of travel, both to focus more on utility of time and efficiency of asset, but also on new experience. Are people engaging with Blade primarily to get to the airport faster or are they doing it because this offers up a new experience for them as well to see the city and the skyline from different ways to connect with other folks to access different locations that they wouldn't have been able to previously how are people primarily interfacing with blade you know i think it's both so the core customer is really someone that has something better to do with that hour and a half they're spending in traffic It's just a more enjoyable experience, particularly individuals that are coming in, visiting from other countries, from other cities. It's a beautiful way to see the city on the way in or the way out. And so I think you have lots of different motivations that all work together. Time saving is a big part of it. But there's also the certainty of knowing that it's going to be a five to eight minute trip. When you get in a car at West 30th Street, and you've got to fight crosstown traffic, get through the tunnel, get to JFK, you don't really know how long it's going to take you to get there. 
So, so some people, they might still get to the airport very early, but they love the de-stressing aspect of not having to worry about traffic. We're sitting here in New York. We have experienced a lot of pain and understand the pain points of trying to commute both within the city and outside of the city. What other cities are kind of ripe for the solution that Blade offers? What makes a city attractive for Blade as a business and customers ready for Blade as ready to use it? So it depends on what point in the evolution we're at. Where we are right now, where we're using helicopters is kind of an urban air mobility lab. It's not going to be the in-state machine that we're using to transport people. The goal here for Blade is get to a place where we're using electric aircraft, electric vertical takeoff and landing. We call them eVTOL. And that'll be a way to fly people much less expensively, much more quietly, and hopefully increase the volume of people that you can carry from vertiports. For now, we're using helicopters to build all the other elements we need to test how do you load six people who don't know each other in an aircraft? How do you process passenger bags, do passenger screening for security? These are all the problems that we're solving using helicopters. And then at some point down the road, we're asset light. It's an equipment swap. You take the helicopters and you switch to an eVTOL. I talk about this only to say that in the helicopter world, there may be a relatively shorter list of cities that have the appropriate infrastructure today, that have a market that can bear the relatively higher cost of a helicopter seat versus an electric vertical takeoff and landing seat. But we can learn so much from getting a head start with helicopters. Once we introduce eVTOL, the list becomes much, much longer. So the helicopter is the Trojan horse for infrastructure towards the EV talk, correct? Exactly. You know, we use the the Netflix analogy with Blade. You know, when Netflix got started, they were sending DVDs and bags in the mail. Not exactly high tech, but in the process of doing that, they acquired customers that love movies. They built a world-class brand around content, and they built technology that showed you what you want to see when you want to see it streaming came along and they were in the pole position because they had a head start. So for Blade, eVTOL, electric vertical takeoff and landing, is our streaming. In the meantime, we're using helicopters, which have some drawbacks. They they use more fuel. They're a little bit more expensive. Uh, but we're building this brand. We built technology that has arranged tens of thousands of flights, short distance aviation flights. No company flights, more people in and out of city centers than Blade. And we've developed that know-how of how do you create a seamless experience for our customer that is flying with six people they don't know and then needs to get to their airport terminal. We've mastered that part with helicopters. And so the equipment swap, when it happens, will allow us to just bring that price point down and hopefully increase the number of places that we can land. And so... When is this going to happen? <laughs> so, what, what does our timeline look like here? So you see major aircraft manufacturers already flight testing these machines. The FAA approval process is notoriously long, but I think you could start to see these aircraft being used in a limited capacity in the next three or four years. But I would caution you, it's going to be much more similar to an electric helicopter than a flying car. Got it. <laughs> In our minds, you expect to see a piloted electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft 
it'll be on the same certification that a helicopter operator has to have today, a Part 135, and it'll likely be piloted by someone who has experience flying helicopters. The thing that I think some people who aren't engaged in the business of transporting people by air today don't realize is that regulators are evolutionary, not revolutionary. And if you think about the incumbent system for air traffic control in the United States, it's incredibly safe, incredibly safe. So the incentive to completely make a wholesale change to the way that we manage air traffic is probably not there. And also, if you think about the cost of a pilot as a percentage of the cost of a flight hour, you you could be less than 15 or 10 percent of the cost of a flight hour as a pilot. So it's not the same calculus you're doing on the ground when you think about the transition to autonomous. And from a customer service perspective, we think most people are going to want to have a pilot on their aircraft. So I would expect a transition to eVTOL to happen relatively quickly, but the process of becoming autonomous could be a decade, if not more. So, Will, you just mentioned EV tolls. Can you tell both myself and the audience a little bit more about what exactly that means, what that looks like, and what the future has in store for us as it relates to this new design of urban air mobility? Absolutely. It is the next generation of urban mobility that's being tested, flight tested, right now by multiple aircraft manufacturers. It's important for a number of reasons. One, When you talk about electric flight, you're much more environmentally friendly. But two, perhaps more important to the consumers and everyone who's listening today, it's likely to be much less expensive over time. So most eVTOL designs that are being flight tested right now use multiple redundant electric fans. That makes them quieter. That makes them more redundant. And because it's an electric motor instead of a jet engine, there are actually fewer moving parts. So they're hopefully going to be easier to maintain. So we're very excited about building a platform that's really designed to transition to that eVTOL future. Every decision Blade has made, Paramount amongst them as being an asset light platform, is designed so that we're ready and waiting to transition to eVTOL. And we don't see that as being a one-second flip. We see a significant what we call a cohabitation phase where you have eVTOL that is appropriate for perhaps a very short flight to an airport, but maybe can't fly in all wind conditions, can't fly with excess baggage. And so it becomes important that we have helicopters waiting on standby. There'll be a number of years where the hybrid fleet is a huge differentiator. And then over time, we think you'll see the whole market switch over to eVTOL. Don't expect to be getting in a Jetsons car on day one. Every expectation we have is for eVTOL to be piloted, regulated just like a helicopter, taking off and landing at the existing FAA-approved airports and heliports to start. And so who are the different stakeholders pursuing this process towards both eVTOL and autonomous? So you have all the aircraft manufacturers that are working on some kind of entrant into this market. And then Blade is taking a slightly different approach where we're trying to find markets where vertical transport makes sense today, both from an economic perspective and a time savings perspective, because 
We believe, and I think most people who have experience designing and certifying aircraft would agree, that version 1.0 of this electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft is probably going to be pretty similar in cost to a helicopter. So if the unit economics don't work on a helicopter, they probably won't work on version one of an eVTOL. So we're trying to identify those markets now, build our customer base, build our ground infrastructure, build a great relationship with the community that we're in so that we're ready for Gen 1 of an eVTOL. And so what needs to be true in order for you to work with a city and to launch a city in order to move this amount of people in and out of cities? What are the steps that you take to launch? That's kind of a mobility joke there. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. The infrastructure has to exist to start. So New York City is fantastic because there are three heliports and one seaplane base. All of these modes are fantastic for urban air mobility. We talk a lot about helicopters, but seaplanes are equally fantastic because you can land right in a city center. Uh, So the infrastructure has to exist and the time savings for a consumer has to exist. So take JFK, an example we've been coming back to during this talk. If you're leaving from the west side of Manhattan, it could easily take between an hour and a half and two hours to make the journey to JFK. With Blade, you're talking about five minutes. That's an incredible consumer value prop. I'll give you another example. We'll be launching in Mumbai in October. A lot of people thought, now, why Mumbai first? Why not a place like London? Why not a European city? Well, the heliport infrastructure exists in India, and also the consumer time savings value proposition is unlike anything we've seen anywhere else in the world. So we'll be flying from downtown Mumbai, Mahalakshmi, to Pune. This is a route that people typically drive. It takes, unpredictably, between four and six hours. This is a 35-minute or 40-minute helicopter flight. The value prop is so incredible that if you get paid hourly, if you're a lawyer, you will actually make money for your clients by taking Blade between Pune (laughs) and Mumbai. There's not a lot of situations you can find anywhere else. Where that's true. <laughs> and not to mention, if you guys launch in uh, in London, you have to fly on the other side of the sky, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. I'm sorry. I had to. I had it was to. a good joke. Uh, a good thank joke. you. I appreciate it. What's the process? Say I'm signing up for Blade today. I, I want to take a flight to JFK in a couple of days. Talk me through the customer experience and the process, one, for both onboarding and then, two, what happens on flight day. We made it as simple as we could possibly imagine. When you open the app, you click what airport do you want to go to, JFK, Newark, or LaGuardia, and then we'll ask you one simple question. What time do you want to be curbside? (laughs) That's it. Say what time you want to be curbside. We do the rest. We'll give you an itinerary that lays out exactly how it works. Blade takes care of all the logistics. So a lot of people ask, well, where do I land at JFK? So there's a helipad at JFK. But then there's a blade car with a blade driver experienced in all the JFK intricacies of the airport roads who will take you directly to your terminal. It usually takes about three minutes to get there. Okay. So we've spoken a lot about helicopters. You mentioned seaplanes. Like what else is in the fleet and who are you working with in order to create this fleet? You know, you've mentioned that you're asset light. So you no. don't own these. No, we don't. We, we don't, we don't own or operate aircraft and we don't have a fleet 
per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- we do work with operator partners to have dedicated access to aircraft. And so in Manhattan, we can typically scramble an aircraft in less than 20 minutes. Wow. We've got a wide variety of Bell 407 helicopters, which is what we'll use for an airport trip, all the way up to a Sikorsky S-76, much larger aircraft that's more appropriate for a corporate charter to Boston or Washington, D.C. So we have a lot of corporate customers who don't like going to LaGuardia and waiting an hour to take off. So you'll take a helicopter to Boston, which takes about an hour from Manhattan. Hmm. D.C. takes about an hour and 10 minutes. Philadelphia is just 30 minutes away from the east side of Manhattan by helicopter. So those are great, interesting corporate markets. And we're looking for ways like we did with the airports to make those more accessible too. Who are other competitors in this space and how do you differentiate yourself? In New York City, one of the biggest pieces is our lounge network. So we like to say you can't fly into Manhattan without going through or around a Blade Lounge. We put a lot of thought into the way that we lay out our lounge experience to maximize passenger check-in, baggage processing, and the overall customer experience. You'll find if you're trying to put six people on an aircraft that don't know each other, you need that space. You need that experience checking folks in. You need the technology that is transmitting weights to the operator uh, that is letting our staff know whether they're in the lounge, whether they're at headquarters, or whether they're on the phones, who checked in when and if we're missing someone. So there's a lot of coordination that goes into putting six people that don't know each other on a flight. And without that infrastructure, it would be very difficult to provide the same level of service. In terms of the moat, the infrastructure is incredibly important. The brand is incredibly important. We've been in New York City for five years. We have an existing installed base of 170,000 users. And we have the experience creating that seamless connection for people, which it sounds really simple, but it took five years of trial and error to get that airport experience perfectly right. What are some of the surprising lessons over the past five years or how has the hypothesis changed about the business and about the customer and about technology? There's a lot of lessons we've learned from our approach to testing new products. I'll I'll use an airport example again, since that's what we've been talking about. This year, we launched our all-day airport service, fly to any airport all day long, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. There's no schedule Just say when you want to be there or say when your flight lands. Now, going into that, we spent years testing the -the on-the-ground experience at airports. There's a number of things we learned. For example, airport roads are a little tricky to navigate. There aren't often drivers on a ride-sharing service that have experience going to the specific location where the airport helipad is. We realized very early on we need to have dedicated trained blade drivers who know the most efficient route to every single terminal, know where to pick you up outside your terminal, and know how not to get lost when they're making that connection for you from your flight to the blade helicopter. And we also knew that we needed to find an even more efficient option with an airline partner. So we partnered with American Airlines. And if you're coming in to JFK or LAX on an American Airlines flight, they will meet you at the gate. 
Wow. They'll take you down some stairs, put you in a car on the tarmac, and drive straight to your helicopter. Wow. That's an experience that no one can replicate. So where in total do you guys operate right now? We are in New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Mumbai will be launching in October. And then you'll see us pop up around events across the United States, whether it's sports events, whether it's Coachella. You'll see us create uh, an instant presence at certain remote locations to facilitate our customers' demands. Blade is the bridge for accessibility to new experiences and events, correct? Exactly. Is it a localized experience in L.A., in New York, in San Francisco, or is there continuity of experience in these different markets? Complete continuity of experience. That's the most important thing we have is our brand, our customers trust it, and we want to always deliver that seamless experience, whether you're in New York City or you're in Mumbai. What does the next 12 months look like for Blade? What are the milestones you'd like to hit? How will we uh, see you guys change, grow, and evolve? So we'll continue to grow the products that you already know and love, like airport. You'll see us launch some new ways of getting to the airports that we already serve, which I think will help people that work in different parts of town than we currently have connected to each airport. There are signals that we're constantly collecting from our corporate customers and from customers who crowdsource. So one of the key things that Blade can do is say you want to go to Newport this weekend, but you don't see that there's seats available to Newport on Blade. You can crowdsource where you launch a flight and then the remaining seats are put up for sale on Blade's app. Other Blade users will see those seats and they can buy them. That's a signal to us that maybe that's its own business. I'll give you an example in San Francisco. We had people crowdsourcing to watch the NBA finals. <laughs> we didn't think about that. <laughs> but they were flying from Palo Alto to Oakland. They were flying from Monterey to Oakland. And it started as a crowdsource. And then we realized this is a real business. So we created a product around it and built scheduled by the seat service to the NBA finals. So we're collecting lots of signals like that in all the markets we serve, particularly in New York. And I think you'll see a handful of new routes that are born out of those signals we see from our own customers' demand. And that's where the technology becomes so important because we're constantly collecting data around where our customers want to fly. We can use that to give us a push in the right direction towards our next new product. One of the things that I would love your perspective on is just all of the other developments happening in urban tech and in cities. What else are you seeing, both from your vantage in the sky and from your vantage as one of the more innovative companies in the space? What else are you excited about in urban tech, both as it uh, helps to enhance Blade's business and just in general as someone who's a participant in this market? The most exciting thing that we're seeing, and it's affected our business, but it's affected all mobility, is using technology to take something that's been around for a long time and making it much more efficient. We talked about how it's impacted Blade's business in terms of being able to increase the utilization on a helicopter. So before Blade, the average utilization in terms of number of passengers on a helicopter was somewhere around one and a half people. Not a lot. So Blade is upwards of five people in terms of utilization. So we've used technology to bring a bunch of people together that need to fly at the same time and increase utilization, which brings the price point down. You're seeing that 
across mobility, whether it's uh, using communication-based train control on the subways to add more frequencies on the 7 train or using technology to connect people to ride-sharing drivers. It's interesting to take something where the machinery has not really changed much. A subway train looks a lot like a subway train from 50 years ago, but by using new technology, you can take that existing industrial application and make it more efficient. The same is true for helicopters. We we didn't invent a new helicopter. Mm-hmm. We used technology to make it more efficient and create a price point that if you had asked somebody 10 years ago, they would have said was impossible. Now, is there ever a concern that as ground transportation gets more efficient and trafficking congestion lessen, that the need for something such as urban air mobility lessens? What's the relationship between better experiences on the ground and experiences in the air? Well, right now, ground congestion is going the other direction. <laughs> that's, so, a fact. <laughs> that's a fact. That's a fact. So I, I think I saw something the average speed for a vehicle in Manhattan was under five miles per hour. I think I run faster than that. I, not- <laughs> I, I think you do. I've seen you run, Devin. You're pretty quick. Uh, so so right now, it's, it's going the opposite direction, and a large part because of the tens of thousands of ride-sharing cars that are getting dumped on the streets. So in the near term, I think the ground traffic situation is a catalyst for people looking to the air because it's making drive times longer and it's making them more expensive as well. It allows us to be very competitive. Over time, I think as we talked about this City 2.0 solution, you're going to see both technologies evolve in parallel. So hopefully you see greater utilization in cars as people start to turn to ride pooling and ride sharing versus using technology to give you a private car. And you're going to see aviation become more efficient with electric flight. We're very much in this urban air mobility sandbox phase today. We're using helicopters. We're buying carbon offsets to make sure that we're environmentally conscious and carbon neutral. But the goal is to be using equipment that actually is carbon neutral Mm -hmm. in terms of electric flight. And we think that by perfecting the system today, getting people comfortable with aviation as a mode, showing them how much more efficient they can be in their personal and professional lives, we can move the world to that urban air mobility future more quickly. All right. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for coming in and chatting with us today. And I suspect there's only one question left that the listeners might have before we say goodbye, which is, are you going to get your helicopter pilot's license? No, I'm going to get that jetpack license first, but we'll work on it. (laughs) I'm a fantastic passenger, though. Love it. Love it. Again, thank you so much for coming in. We look forward to seeing what else Blade has to offer in these coming years. Thanks so much for having me on. And thank you for listening to What's Next. We release an episode every other week, so be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Just search for What's Next on your app of choice or go to samsungnext.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Deb Conway. This episode of What's Next was produced by Rachel King, Laura Flynn, and Eliza Lambert with Claire Mullen as sound engineer for Pod People. If you have questions or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch on Twitter at Samsung Next or send us an email podcast at samsungnext.com. Until next time.